Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. This week, we're talking about the third part of the story of God, which is redemption. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm Richard and I'm here with Crixie and Amber. And we've been talking through the story of God and we kind of noodled it down to four parts. Rather arbitrarily. Um, (laughs) Loads of books don't do four parts, but we wanted to do four podcasts. So there it is. And so we finished the last one with Adam and Eve leaving the garden and... You know, so they're still God's image bearers and they're still commissioned to go do image bearer stuff. So that was last time. But now it's hard. Like creation's fighting back. Um, they've been separated from the tree of life. So their destiny is like, you're going to go be image bearers, but it, there's a frustration, a pain, um, and a deathness to make up a, a word. Not a theological term, but because they're they're now doing it in a dying way instead of in a living, like, you know, things aren't crescendoing, they're sort of diminuendoing. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's hard, hard times. Um, And so now we're going to do from Genesis 3 through to Matthew 28. Cool. That'll be easy. Just in an hour? Yeah. Small chunk. Lock in. No. So, yeah, well, <laughs> so much. So this is a bit of a thought. This is the, the silliest podcast of these four, basically. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting to pick up the story of the Bible and the way the author of Genesis, because he, like, it is this foundation, like, foundation stone to understand God, his story, his plans, everything. Um, and so we don't want to miss, maybe we should travel, like, a little bit further in Genesis and notice, like, some of the things that happen next. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you don't travel far before someone's killing someone, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of shocking. Um, I mean, I, we're used to it. Humans being just nasty, not very nice to each other. You know, that's our, like, daily news feed. But to think about where we just were and what God just did and what Adam and Eve are like, and then, like, the next thing that you see, well, not the next thing, but the next thing you may be that's significantly camped on by the author of Genesis. It's like, oh yeah, someone killed someone and there were repercussions. But the repercussions are interesting because it's a bad thing, so it has bad consequences, but God still intervenes in a way that's like, hey, I need to let you know that was a bad thing, but my posture is not now, so I'm just going to make you feel as bad as possible and just crush you and eradicate you. God doesn't come as an enemy to Cain. Well, it's Cain and Abel we're talking about, by the way, just in case you can't remember. <laughs> um, he actually comes almost like as a mediator, like as a, a sort of out, an outside person to like come into the situation and uh, it's like, okay, you did, you did a bad thing and it's going to go badly because of what you did, but my role here is still to be someone who's going to help you. Um, so it's just it's just surprising to me because I think we grow up with such a gospel story, such a, a Bible story of like, oh yeah, so Adam and Eve sinned and God cursed them and then God was their enemy and hated them. And so, you know, it, and, and but it's okay because Jesus is going to come along and then everything will be peachy, you know. Uh, but... But then it's like double if we've inherited a bit of that as like what we've heard frequently, then it's really surprising to bump into Cain and Abel and God's like, Hey, I want to redeem this situation. And so it yeah, it's just just surprising. Is it like you see God in the garden with Adam and Eve who've blown it and he's like, Let's make this a bit better. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be hard, but let me do something to make it a bit better. Cain and Abel. Let me do something to make it a bit better. So, 
Yeah, and it's and, crazy. And, that's, and that launches us on a trajectory, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And it's like a fight against our normal trajectory where I think one of the problems of kind of knowing how the story works out is that you take the ending and then apply it to the beginning. And if you're reading that through, you don't know all those things yet. So you're not going to draw those conclusions. You're going to draw the conclusions that are in front of you. And maybe it's not like you know the ending and you take those conclusions and apply them to the beginning, but maybe you're taking the conclusions of the person who first told you that story mm. and then you apply those. So when we hear this gospel of God good, people bad, and God is mad at people, and we apply it to the whole of the rest of the Bible, then it completely changes the whole story. Or at least it changes how we receive the story. It doesn't actually change it when you read it for what it is. And you see a God who seems to contradict the way that we think about him, which can be confusing until you realize it's a contradiction in a really good way. Like God is for people. His whole deal is redeeming and restoring people to prove that he can take what gets like stained and tainted and restore it to prove that he is the supreme spiritual being in all of everything and that he wins. And it's fun to be a part of God's declaration that he is the supreme being. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. It's a, it's it's kind of interesting. I, I, I like to imagine, like, if I didn't know about Jesus, this would be the paradigm I live under. Like someone could come to me and be like, this is who you are. This is who God is to you. And um, yeah, I might sort of, I don't know, have an expectation that God's just like not interested in me. Um, I'm not interested in him. So why would he be interested in me? Uh, and it's actually interesting the way you see God in Genesis keeping on initiating. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to go to someone find a foothold where I can do something mm-hmm. and, and then find someone I can partner with. So God, like he clearly is interested because he keeps initiating. So that's, that's not true. I think that's actually one of the funniest things about um, that like preset idea of the way we look at scripture is we don't really understand the Old Testament or see God moving as much. But then all of a sudden... Jesus comes and we're like, well, God gave the world Jesus, but yet we don't have a frame of reference for God intervening prior to Jesus. We just think that he just like stepped back, you know, was angry at humans, let humans destroy each other. And then was like, okay, now here's Jesus. But we miss the story of his intervention and his, um, his walking with humans all throughout the old Testament. So we almost anticipate Jesus more when we see that he's still, uh, he still wants that relationship and he still wants that um, connection with humanity uh, that was, you know, tainted at the fall. Um, he's not, he didn't step away um, after that. And yeah. we see that in Cain and Abel's story right from the beginning. It's not that the Lord wasn't present. He was there before Cain even killed his brother. The Lord was intervening, trying to say like, hey, why, you know, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Um, he's, he's there present with Cain from the beginning and then though Cain is disciplined uh the Lord doesn't leave him then either like he's he's yeah. there throughout that whole story um and I love the personal interest in Cain because you saw this with Adam and Eve and you we were like hey why why would God come and uh be like uh where are you Adam it's like clearly knows mm-hmm. like if, if I'm the parent and my two-year-old's done something wrong I'm like get out stop hiding you know um, but he does a similar sort of thing to Cain. Like he's he's saying something, but it seems like he's actually interested in Cain understanding something. Mm-hmm. You know, which is way more personal than him just acting more as like a like he is supreme. But it's the way he goes about that that is particularly interesting because he asks questions because he desires to be known fully by those that he's engaging with. He doesn't just say exactly what should happen without that partnership element. Even in the midst of the darkness of what Cain did, the Lord's still very present in the midst of that um, in a way that seems kind of shocking. Like we, we read the story and if you're super familiar with it, you know, you kind of know what happens. Um, But I think because that familiarity can sometimes breed this, um, 
this lack of understanding of just how engaged God is and how and how he's partnering. Like it's it's clear that even now he's kind of stooping down to where Cain's at to talk with him and engage with him um, and then allow through the punishment that Cain incurred upon himself, the, the mercy that comes alongside that too, even then, um, kind of foreshadows the the mercy that's coming. Yeah, it is because it, it's mercy's there, but it's like mercy mixed with bad consequences. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's death, but mercy. And that's, because uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, things, we get the shock of like Adam and Eve and then like, oh my goodness, someone's killed someone. What on earth's going on? What is this story like? And and then you get to Genesis 6 and and we, we've used this verse on Sundays like so Crooksy's been it was it was great but this was like ringing out to start us on a Sunday and everyone was like uh I don't know what to do with myself why are you reading this over me <laughs> but it was like just because people aren't used to starting out a Sunday morning this way it was really awesome but it's this sort of uh where is it here the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great mm. how great that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil. So like this little fledgling humanity that's now like grown a few generations and has spread its wings a little bit on the earth, which is what God wanted them to do. But they've taken this corruption with them and the corruption's like taken over. Mm-hmm. And so God's like, again, initiating it. And God's like, I'm going to have to do something about it. And this is part of, because these first like 10 chapters of Genesis are a microcosm of the whole story of the whole Bible, which is why they're so important. So we might think like, okay, so I'm still an image bearer. So there's like, there's something good and valuable retained that's true of me that like people can point at and affirm and God affirms. But there's corruption and hardship and, but God's merciful. Um, but but the other thing is is God really cares about the corruption. Mm-hmm. Like He cares. Like He made the world so that He could say this is good. When He's looking at the world and saying this is bad, God's not like ah, well ah, I guess it's yeah it's bad, but it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. God's like no no, I I don't create to make bad, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to have to do something about this because I use my power and my and my my judgment to bring about good. And so this is another big thing about like the paradigm we live under between like, well, after Genesis three, we haven't got to the cross yet, but like in this, this part of relating to God Mm -hmm. is like, yeah, the bad consequences mean like death's going to kick our butts and creation is going to fight back and life's going to be frustrating. And there's a sense in which, I don't know, there's a sort of, Ah, say la vie, you know, life sucks, but, you know, just smile and do the best you can. Like, just be grateful for the little bits of good that you've got. Um, you know, that's a a way of thinking, a perspective. Like, people people do that sort of thing, don't they? You know, like, find, find solace where you can. Um, but, like, two, there's, there's two pieces of the jigsaw we need to add. Like, that's not a real description of what life in this world's actually like. Like, what life's actually like is that uh, it's bad, but it's declining bad. Mm-hmm. Like, unless something happens, it's going to get worse. So the bad that we've got isn't just like, ah, well, it sucks, but, you know, I'll, I'll just live through it. It'll be fine. It's like, no, it's going to drag you down. Like... The paradigm you live under is that death gets to win. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a shame. It's something rightly to be feared, rightly to be grieved. And God cares about it. Like all this badness, like it, like it grieves, it says it grieves God's heart. Like he regretted he'd made man. Like he was sad, he was bummed out. Like God's, I don't know what the image is, because it doesn't tell us one, so I'm going to like impose one. But God's like, I don't know, hugging his knees in tears, just like, oh man, I can't believe out of like, when I put forth so much good that it's sort of vanishing away. I think it's just so brutal that the the thing that 
was specifically designed and made for spreading good mm-hmm. throughout the world becomes the source of like regret and grief. Like it's just so brutal. And sometimes we don't like to think about God having emotions. I don't, I don't know why that became a thing. I'm a very emotional person, so I'm completely happy with God having emotions. But he clearly does have them. And in this, it's like deep hurt of seeing something that you love so much, like wreck itself at, I don't know, it seems like a chain reaction. It just seems like it's getting exponentially bad yeah. fast. And something needs to be done now. So then when you get to the the Noah story and it's like, right, I'm going to rescue Noah and his family, but we need to start again. And then with that old paradigm of like God hates people because people are bad, then we might think that God is quite happy to delete a bunch of sinful people. Mm-hmm. But the emotions that we get from God is that it's grief like this is not what he wanted for us and negative consequences flowing out of negative actions are a part of the world now and like we can like look at this passage in Genesis 6 and see ourselves in it that when like we do or when it's done to us when like negative stuff is done to us or by us that we see the negative consequences of that and and that's reflected here we can see our own experience and we know that bad things flow out of bad things and you need to do something to step in and intervene and when you think about God as a parent like no parent is going to stand idly by while their kids destroy each other that is not good parenting so the idea that God is just going to get mad and delete everybody except Noah is a poor reflection on his parenting and something that like you know is like a complete like awful situation like as as bad as it almost it can be requires like major intervention and and that's what we see but what we don't see is God giving up on people because he doesn't like them. Yeah. And regret there in verse 6 of chapter 6, the Lord regretted he had made man on the earth, makes it sound like to our ears sometimes like God views humanity as a mistake. Yes. When in fact God is seeing the pain that we inflict on each other and his heart is completely for good for us And he's just like, I wish that that wasn't happening to them. Mm -hmm. And that regret, not I made a mistake, but I wish that wasn't happening to them because I wanted better for them. Like my way was better for them. And that's, that's a regret. I'm not a parent, but I've talked to a few. (laughs) And I know what it's like when a parent is watching their kid make choices that hurts them and hurts the people around them. And the the regret over I'm sad and I'm hurt and I'm grieving that like this hurt is being caused to our family or, or whatever. It doesn't mean they regret that having that child. Like obviously not. So yeah. on like a surface level read, we're like, God thinks people are a mistake and they like bump him out hard. When actually whenever you look at what happens here is God <coughs> refuses to give up on humanity no matter how bad they get because he loves them and he makes a way out of extreme darkness for humanity to have a new chance and a new start to flourish in a way that he does want for them. And that's that that that's the God of the Bible and that's a loving move, not a I hate people move. It's yeah. a I love people move. Yeah. Because the, the, one of the patterns we're, we're seeing is like God's still trying to redeem what he can. He's p- trying to preserve his plan. Mm. So God's not the sort of regret that's like, oh, well, stuff it. You can all, I was going to say you can all burn, but you can all drown. Yeah, God's not like, oh, stuff it. This creation thing, I throw in the towel, I'm done with it. Like it's, it's not going to work. Mm. Like God, God really, he wants to get his way. And it, this is, 
uh, well, the other thing you said is really important is you said, like, we need a fresh start. So this tees up one of the problems that's going to be now this recurring theme where God's going to keep choosing people and be like, hey, I want to do my redeem stuff. Partner with me. And then people are like, yes, you're Yahweh. Like, I'll partner with you. I want redeeming. Like, and yeah, like, I I trust you. You're powerful. You're a big dude. I like your plan. But it keeps bumping into, oh, it's not working out. We need to like, we need to try different. I think that's you what's know? so interesting about the, you know, I'll call the mini redemptions throughout the Old Testament is that if God, the way he redeems is not by exerting brute force upon humanity, by just saying like, yes, the flood came. Yes, that was a massive act of God, but it wasn't that he destroyed everything to build it up from scratch. Like he saved somebody he partnered with. He didn't, God didn't build the ark. Noah did, you know, and I, I think we see this all throughout the different, um, you know, figures of, of Jesus eventually is that we see these people that God's partnering with, that he's not just doing this as some disconnected um, entity that's not engaged with the, his creation, with his image bearers. He's stepping into the story and using people, but, but that goes back to the fall, right? The fact that he keeps trying to use people. I mean, if you just go down the line of some of the people he tried to use, like he did try to use Saul, he did use David, um, he used Samson. If you look at some of the judges, like he's, he's working with people, but it's the fact that there's this stain that won't go away within humanity that, that makes it. So there's, there's that, that snag that you were talking about, Richard, the like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm committed. But then there's like, there's always this wall that keeps getting hit with every single person yeah. in the old Testament. So we're left feeling like, is this ever going to work? And, and this is where it's interesting. Cause this, I was going to say this a moment ago. I was like, no, we need to, we're not quite there yet, but now we are. It's like, we know the end of the story. We know Jesus comes and it's like, it is going to work. And we'll talk about that in a bit and definitely next podcast. But it's in Genesis as well. You know, God said like, hey, the, 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 the snake, the serpent has had a victory and death now is, has become a, the most real threat. But I'm going to defeat that. I'm going to crush that and I'm going to partner with a human and do it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, there's this, uh, and it's not just like it's there and then like we get to the New Testament, we're like, oh my goodness, who's this Jesus guy? Like we don't have time today to talk about God continually pointing at and actually not just incidentally along the way, like, oh, just to remind you, Amber, like, I'm going to do this Messiah thing, you know, bring a human who will be, like, the ultimate human and actually accomplish this thing, this redemptive work I want to do. Like, I'm going to have my way eventually. But it's actually often that prophecy and that looking forward is interwoven with times when God is partnering with someone. And so as he, like, launches out with Abraham or launches out with David like woven alongside that is God being like, but this is just a foretaste. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do a bigger, better. Mm -hmm. Or it's when there's like the crumpled ruins of like, oh, this attempt ended badly. You know, there's like blood everywhere. It's, it's horrific. And God's like, don't forget, I'm going to bring a human who's going to be like so much more. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so it's really interesting, this sort of act of the story we really bumped into the tension, really bumped into the, oh my goodness, this isn't just like, oh yeah, go be an image bearer, but it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. But like, go be an image bearer, but death keeps winning. Like yeah. this, this is, like if that's, if that's the last act of the story, I don't want to live in that story. Like that just, you know, I want to be some sort of nihilist French existential philosopher and just be like, or the writer of Ecclesiastes at the beginning. It's like, <laughs> it's all meaningless. Like, I just want out. I want to escape this story. But it's not. It's not the last act of the story. But but this is interesting because this is now like, uh, well, th this is what we want to relate to people in the world around us. Um, you know, so we, <laughs> this is, we kind of did chapter six. Um we didn't even finish another story. But then, yeah, you know, God, he partners with Abraham. Mm -hmm. So Genesis 12, like, hey, paraphrase. Abraham, I want to bless and redeem. And so I'm going to bless and redeem you 
so that through you, I can now do that work to others. And there's the Tower of Babel thing in between where God's like, okay, first time round, like it got bad too quick. So I'm going to have to do some stuff to make sure the deterioration gets slowed down some to give me a chance to work with people here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, then, yeah, and then you go on and you've got, um, you know, the sort of ups and downs of Abraham's family, mm-hmm. you know, of, of them needing God to show up deliver them sometimes it's from external forces sometimes it's from that own stupidity but god like he keeps doing the same thing sort of pattern he keeps preserving keeping the line going on um but also hey you need to be smacked upside the head what you did was really bad mm-hmm. and you need to not do that again um so he's trying to guide these people um but in the midst of god delivering we keep bumping into oh, but it's going to happen again, isn't it? It's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and that goes on and on and on and on. And, you know, it leads us to another, like, big word, which is exile. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about that. Like, like we see it get really bad in Genesis. You know, we see it culminate in the Tower of Babel when God s- scatters everybody. We see it get bad with the judges, where it's just that cycle of them calling out to the Lord Um, when they're oppressed and then getting redeemed by a judge and then them falling back into sin. Like we have these moments and then we get to first and second Kings and it's just, just, just terrible. Like it's, it's really, really bad. And then you read the prophets and you read about, um, the, the injustice and the evil that's happening under these Kings and the divided kingdom that when you get to exile, you're not super surprised. Like if you've been keeping up with the story thus far and you've been seeing these patterns of redemption but then that stain coming back again redemption but that wall being hit that the people keep not being able to fully it's like that falling short they're they're getting there but then they're not and so by the time you get to the kings you're like yeah this is of course this is what's happening you get to the prophets and you go yeah this is this is what i've been watching happen that god's intervening god's with people and there is redemption that's happening but there's this missing the mark that is still taking place that no one's able to fully get us past this point. It's like we keep losing at the same spot in the game. You know, we keep mm-hmm. getting so far and then we lose enough to come back again. And so, yeah, exile is not surprising, but still just as devastating as if it was a surprise. Yeah. And it's a sort of blend of those two. Like if you if you live and feel like you inhabit this act of the story, like you haven't heard the good news. So, you know, Jesus gives us this ability to, to actually, um, you know, like gospels, this word that means good news. It's like, hey, there's a headline that you're actually going to want to read. Mm-hmm. And it means that exile's over and the, the tide is turned and frustration now is going to diminish. And instead of death winning, resurrection life is going to win. And so it's a, a pivoting point um but if you don't live under that reality it's a very strange place to be isn't it where you you have this inherent worth like there's something good about how god made you and like who god made you to be and yet there's something almost i don't know if i want to say worse i'm not sure i'm reaching for the right word there but like you know, if God just made me like a pawn or just, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I feel worthless, but I am worthless. You know, I just make my peace with it. But the extra, like the tragedy of like the gap between the goodness that God has given and exile, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just sort of when when the weight of that hits that's a kind of soul-crushing uh, thing. Uh, and yet there's, there's something good and the storyline keeps like resonating with, hey, God will take that good thing mm-hmm. and he will preserve it. Mm-hmm. Or he will, well, we're saying preserve, but ultimately we might want to use language resurrect, you know, restore, renew. Um, so, so we're carrying around a continual awareness of our potential and yet bumping into this 
continued not just frustration like oh yeah potential you know like i feel entrepreneurial it's hard but it's really good mm-hmm. but yeah it's not just hard it's doomed mm-hmm. you know like no one no one would start a business and be like yeah do you want to start this coffee shop like yeah what like what's your hope for it it's like well you know it's i mean inherently coffee is a good thing and so it should be really good but i know it's doomed to fail like no way <laughs> Right. That's almost worse than not knowing. And and it's it's interesting because I I wonder how much of people not really grasping how doomed we can be without without God, without his work mm-hmm. is yeah. actually a mercy of God to like leave us in the some unknown, leave us with questions and space to to not have the the goodness and the hope crushed out of us. Yeah. So when someone says good news, the word good still means something to us. Because I think that relates to, do you know that bit where Jesus and the Pharisees are sassing each other up and the Pharisees are like, oh, we have the law. And Jesus is like, yeah, you have the law, so you have sin. If you were ignorant, then that's a different deal. But like, you know the deal, so you should keep the deal. Yeah. But... Like, I can have some, like, sympathy for, like, people as, like, they're going through this story. Do you know, and the mistakes that Abraham makes and, like, I mean, pick a character, all of them. They're seeing this story unfold in front of their eyes and they're, like, picking up the foreshadows for other stuff as it goes along. And they don't have the benefit that we have of knowing how the full story works out so they're trying to figure it out as they go along they're trying to make the best decisions with the data sample that they have for how they can do Yahweh things or you know even like Abraham and Sarah and the Hagar Ishmael thing they were trying to do like Yahweh's promise they completely missed the mark on that they're just like hurry up with this like you said there was going to be a promise and like you see that where God says, here's, here's the promise. And when the prophets are coming to the kings and they're like, hey, do you remember Deuteronomy? You guys like remember what, what he said was going to happen? And they're like, nah, we've got the temple. And they're clinging to that promise. That sounds like a good thing to do if you've got what was intended by that promise right. But if you've not got what's intended by that promise right and you're clinging on to this weird interpretation of a promise and you completely missed the mark you're not holding on to anything and that bad interpretation needs like broken down and thrown away and so when they go into exile they get another experience and another example of like what it is like to live away from like you're clinging on to this temple how about you cling on to the thing that the temple points you to mm-hmm. and like do you know what makes like what what's better like the gold or like you know like don't swear by the gold of the temple like swear by the temple all all this stuff and it's like what what's better the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold like what's better the temple or the god who the temple points you to and dudes just miss it and i have sympathy for them because they're trying to figure it out as they go along but for us we can like go back in and we can see like all the foreshadowing and we can see like with the hindsight and we can see how this matches up and how like God's story like unfolds beautifully and how we see like clearly a God who loves, warns, protects, disciplines. He's not here to be messed with. He will punish evil, but he will forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And you read Hosea and God forgives people to the point where, like, it's kind of pathetic. Like, it's kind of embarrassing how much he loves us compared to how little we love him back at times. And it's just like, this is nuts. He is the perfect God for us because we need a God who will continually draw us back into his story because i mean exile is a big problem a big problem a problem that they were anxious for god to intervene in Mm -hmm. and he did but it doesn't matter the problem wasn't 
they didn't have a place to live. The problem is that sin is a part of the world and sin is a part of people and it doesn't really matter where you live, that's still going to be the problem and that is the one that needs fixed. But when you're trying to figure things out as you go along, sometimes you don't have that like wisdom or that analysis to see, oh, this looked like it was a problem, but actually it's this bigger thing. That's what we need to do. That's the underlying, like the root. Let's not just fix a symptom. Like let's fix the real problem. I love that God is just like giving constant, like reminder, 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 reminder. Remember what I've done for you. Here's what I'm going to do for you in the future. Like this is a mighty work of God, but it's still not complete. But someday, someday I'm going to do it and it's going to be done and sin won't be a part of the world or a part of people anymore and i think there's so much because it's not like god stopped being the way he is in in all that we've talked about because i'm thinking like most people listening they're going to be jesus followers and so a lot of this conversation is about like how do you relate this god story to like your neighbor who doesn't know jesus Mm -hmm. and you know, don't know any of this stuff. Mm. They just, they know the world they live in and they know a bit about themselves and the people around them. And, you know, the the wages of sin is death. Mm. Like sin is, it is an issue, it is a reality, and it does mean the trajectory is doom and death. Mm. But one way to try to convince people that this story has something to say to them is to try to convince them of their doomed status. So it's like that sort of strategy of, you know, there's like those tracts from the 90s that you'd hand people and be like, have you ever lied? Oh, so you're a cheater, you know. Have you ever hated someone? Oh, you're a murderer, you know, so you're a liar, a murderer. and a, You know, just try to convince people they're as bad, they're as black as black can be. Mm-hmm. And that therefore, this narrative of like, so God's against you, you're clearly in exile and you need redeeming, um you know it's it's interesting like the prophet and this is we'd have to survey the whole of the bible here more than the podcast worth but when god reaches out to his people he he does talk to them like when they have those moments of turning back to god mm-hmm. when like exile gets undone he does talk to them about like well this hap- there's, there's bad you know he points at the bad but he reminds them of the promises that they're his people. Like covenant involves affirming things as well. And it's it just, I mean, there's a whole history lesson here about like how we ended up telling the story of God over people in a way that is so different from the way God reaches out to people. You know, that it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. I think that's interesting too, because we... You know, let's just take some of the harder books of the Old Testament. Like I'm looking at Lamentations right now in the heart of exile. You know, you read Lamentations and you get the depravity of the people. You get their anguish and their anger and their um, pain. You don't, it's, it's impossible to miss that as you read Lamentations. But as you get kind of towards the end in Lamentations 3, you begin to see some declarations about God being made not about him being an evil person who's left them, though there are comments and things that are said where it's like, it feels like, we see this in the Psalms too. David says, it feels like you've left me. But there's always this affirmation in uh, Lamentations 3.22. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You would not expect to see that in the middle of, a book like Lamentations because yeah. it's just so, so dark. It is dark. There, there's horrible things that have happened through the exile, but there's always this, this reminder that the Lord's present and that His His goodness is still there. Um, and at this point in the story, they don't have the purview or the the foresight to see Jesus on the scene. So they're not as fortunate as us where we say, oh, well, we know that this is like the the climax of this worked out is in Jesus. They don't have that, but there's still this understanding of who is watching them anyway who there's someone still there and we see this in other parts we see it in ecclesiastes as well where you have this everything's meaningless it's better to just you know 
life, you know, life is, is what it is. And then at the end, it's like, but, but we still follow the ways of the Lord. That's still what we do. So even in some of these, you know, dark places, there's still this hope that, um, that's present. And the thing is too, is that because of where we're situated now, so bringing it back to that person who's trying to love and witness to their neighbor, um, we do have Jesus and we do get to show the whole story, but, and the convincing people of, of their darkness. I feel like when we do it, the, you know, tracked way where it's like, Oh, you're, you're, you're a murderer. Like it's not tangible to people because unless you're actually in like prison ministries talking to murderers, that's not really resonating. It's it's not true of most people. Right. Like most people aren't as black as black can be. Right. Now, if they don't have Jesus, like, yeah, like Genesis six before Noah, maybe their trajectory, Mm -hmm. they may be doomed to that. And that's tragic, but they're not equipped to see that right now. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, Crooksy, they're trying to like stumble their way through life. And I just think like, it's so powerful to, I know, consider making the first tool out of your box be looking for the opportunity to actually let that person know there's good in them. Especially because at least a lot of the people that I interact with, they're not thinking the world is on an upward trajectory. I have yet to meet someone who goes, yeah, politics are only getting better. People, my family's only getting better. Like people know about the darkness. They might not be at a place where they're ready right now to to turn to Jesus as the light, but we don't have to convince people that they're murderers in their heart in order for them to, like they know, people know. That's one of the biggest questions is, why is there suffering? Why is this world so dark? Like people get it. And so if we go in with that, with the first tool being the goodness of God in, and that it isn't all just black as black, they, that offers more hope than trying to dig them deeper into the darkness. Like they yeah. get, people get it for it's the most a, it's part. It's a powerful, it's the, it's the weight of the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you can like, you know, escapism, make doism. Oh, this is just what life is. I've made my peace with it. Ism, you know, that sort of attitude is not going to be moved by you just being pessimistic about people. Yeah. But if you start to affirm over people that that actually there's more good in them and more potential in them and that you see like God's fingerprints on them, they're going to start bumping into the realization that there's something tragic about that. Mm-hmm. And, and out of that will swell a desire to realize that potential because God designed us to creatively realize potential. It's part of the blueprint. And like that, that's a motivator um, where then when you bring Jesus in, like that's, I don't know, we've got used to being like the only way to, to get the goodness of the good news of Jesus is like, God hates you, but that can end. You know, you're, you're God's enemy, but that can end. Like, well, you, I mean, there's truth, mm-hmm. it, yeah, but it's part of the truth in some of those things. It's like we're but God's it's, enemies it's story. before we submit to Christ, but it's not like, God doesn't want anything to do with us. Like we see all throughout scripture, people being God's enemies and God constantly coming down and saying, you don't like, this is like, it's not that we're God's enemies and God is our enemy. God has been wanting since the fall. I mean, that's why he clothed Adam and Eve is he wants that to not be the case. And I think that's a huge, huge point. And sometimes we function like we are, we act like we are his enemy but we are acting in a way that is not how we were created to be. It's unnatural for us to function in a way that opposes and stands against God. But we definitely can function in that role when we choose to. And that's like, I mean, the tragedy of the story is like layering up where like it doesn't need to be like this. You were created for good. But the way that we act now, it's like we've chosen mm-hmm. to be. Why would we choose to be enemies of God when he does not declare that over us? Like Genesis 3 makes it clear that the snake is the enemy. It's the one that will get crushed. It's not the people. But when we choose to partner with evil, mm-hmm. like why would we do that? 
and yeah. why why do we do that all the time? And there is like that tension of like knowing that um, I think Passover sums us up so much that like there's things that need addressed pronto, like right now, tonight, do this tonight. And that marks God's people as special and I'm going to rescue you. And the first people who celebrate a Passover were, ex- were ce- celebrating what God was going to do. And then everybody else celebrated what God had done. But then like even Passover is like an amazing work of God, but incomplete because it still points forward. Like even for Jewish people, yeah. it's going to point forward to Messiah. Because it wasn't just celebrating that God did something. It was celebrating that God did something that Therefore, continued to affect them and their trajectory. To affect them and someday is going to be yeah. absolutely completed. So in that sense, we're celebrating what God has done and like pro tips for our lives. Celebrate what God has done in your life. And because you know based off the evidence in your own life, what he is like and how he sees you, you can put your hope in him to do other good things for you in your life and ultimately like complete his work. And you you can look forward to that and it, it's good. And instead of being like, people are bad, like you're an enemy of God, like you are as bad as bad can be. It's like God wants to intervene for good in your life he will do that and you'll notice it a whole lot more if you're paying attention like ask him to do something and pay attention to see him do it and and it's it's good and it's it's fun and then we're waiting you know because i guess this whole like section of god's story is kind of summed up by like things are not like nothing is over like god's call to humanity to be with him is still loud and clear things aren't over it's not so fun anymore but we're not done here and we're waiting for god to do something each time along the way it points to like the something that is going to be coming that is big and waiting in that tension is hard i find waiting fine when i know when the end point is going to be even when i'm driving somewhere and i know the way to go i put it into google maps on my phone and like comes up on the little screen in the car so that I know this drive is going to take 12 minutes. Like I can wait 12 minutes just fine. Like I I will be able to drive. I know where I'm going, but knowing that it's only going to be 12 minutes makes me feel like, okay, I can plan my day. But when it's been, for example, like all this COVID stuff and not knowing when it's actually going to like completely end, like, like this time last year, thinking it was only going to be three weeks. And then the horizon keeps changing and you realize that like, I'm never actually going to get to that horizon. It feels like I'm never going to get to the actual end of the waiting. That's really hard for us. And that was what was really hard for them. They know God is going to do something. But what is it going to be? When is it going to be? Where is it going to be? What's going on? And then, so it looks to us like they reject his ways. But maybe they're just trying to speed things up. Like we give the Pharisees a hard time. But... They were trying. They were they trying. Want to be, make they want to make sure that they, you know, people are doing Yahweh things. <laughs> like they felt like trying. they were still in exile. They're trying to to speed that up. Like we let's get yeah, out of this. So exactly. I mean, it didn't it didn't not implicate them for not seeing Jesus for who he was, but like stepping into their shoes for a second and in their time and where they've come from, they're they're trying. Yeah. They're yeah. The waiting the waiting game is is if you know if you don't know where the end is, you're thinking maybe I can help speed that up. For sure. And that's why, like you mentioned, I don't know if you said the word, but you kept talking about something that was to do with hope. Mm. Like hope hope leans forward. And it's why it's so important. Like God's people, like Israel, all through the Old Testament, into the church age, like that's why they're supposed to be holy. Mm. They're supposed to enjoy an untragic life, not a pain-free, but a life that is growing into life, not death. And they're supposed to represent that in the world. So everyone else is like, oh, it's not supposed to stink. Mm -hmm. Like there can be hard stuff, but there can be wins. There can be life. How's that happening? Mm -hmm. Like it's supposed to provoke that question. I I think one of the biggest dangers I see like in our city with Christians is there's just I feel like a lot of people who, who the enemy, the serpent, whose power is death is trying to get them to live under one of these false paradigms that 
actually like the the way to succeed is to like knuckle under and just suck it up mm-hmm. or make do and like and hopes kind of faded and and like christians ought to be people all the time who are asking the question like how can i flourish and how can the world flourish around me mm-hmm. and there's there's a a sort of vibe lots of people have got that's just i don't know it doesn't have that hope right it's just it's like you come into sunday and instead of our worship and prayer and stuff like that we do together being a celebration of what god did that week you know to energize us to be like the gates of hell didn't stand let's go kick down some more this week instead it's like a man i just gotta like be in a safe space like an emotionally safe space feel refreshed just get like in a bubble get a breath so that i can go knuckle under and try and survive the next week yeah. and it's like that's not the story mm-hmm. like that is that is that's not an act of god's story mm-hmm. if that's if that's how we live in and it's really easy in our culture to end up living that way so so maybe this part of the story still really does have something to challenge us you know who, who know jesus but then we'll talk next time because we're out of time now so we'll talk next time a bit more about Jesus makes a difference. So we'll play spot the difference. What is the difference? And <laughs> it's really good news. That'd be really exciting. So this is coming out Good Friday. And so a happy Easter if you're listening around the weekend. Um, hopefully we'll see you. Um, and yeah, I hope that this is a time where like exploring God's story, that the cross and what Jesus has done, I don't know, just comes alive in a fresh way for you this year and it does something to you like the, the the rest of the year and the rest of the rest not just the rest of this year but it's like a, a turning point where you really get to lean into what god has for you so enjoy and god bless thanks for listening to this episode of the house of learning podcast This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, Go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.